The dawn of civilization. Primitive. Dangerous. Exciting. The handwriting is on the wall. If the human race is ever going to amount to anything, it needs... The most civilized caveman I have ever seen. Ah, look who's come out of his cave. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. This is James from Cave Dweller Music. We've got a, a full house today. We've got Brendan as usual, but we have Yari, Wildheart filling in. He was a good friend of mine for over a decade now. Uh, he is one of our writers, and uh, he actually wrote the review for the band we're interviewing today. That's me. And that is The Reticent. We've got Chris Hathcock from The Reticent here. He is the one-man show that puts all of this music together. It's good to have uh, you on. I appreciate you for having me, so thank you for, for giving me the opportunity to talk with you guys. Thanks for taking yeah, the time. Totally. Just to start off with, for anyone who doesn't know you guys, um, did you want to just give us like a brief introduction as, as to who you are and, and what you do and what your music's about? Uh, sure. Bit? Well, I mean, as you said, I'm, I'm Chris. I'm, I guess you could also say I kind of am the reticent since, uh, you know, on the records, I, I play uh, all the instruments and all that kind of stuff and, and do all the vocals for the most part. But uh, the band is actually a progressive metal outfit. We're from uh, North Carolina in the U.S. And I don't know really the proper way to describe what we do, which is a, an argument I frequently have with Jeremy Golden, who owns the label I'm on, where we, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a progressive metal thing, but it's got a, a, a strong emotional conceptual bent to things, you know, and uh, I, like to, I like to think that... Uh, one thing I try to do is maybe, especially with the last couple records, is try to try to make movies without film, and see if we can tell stories without any images, uh, that kind of thing. But we do have a we do have a live band that consists of uh, Mitch Moore on drums, James Nelson on lead guitar, and Cliff Stankovich on uh, bass. Uh, and they've been playing with me for a couple of years now, uh, and helped me uh, to craft a lot of things and uh, all sorts of things for the for the band. And actually, James Nelson is is now our like permanent lead guitarist. He actually played the leads on uh, our newest record. So you're James Nelson. Uh, did how much did he? So he, he did he play the lead on this album? He played in, in he played uh, all the all the lead guitar solos. He played those. Oh, okay, okay. I wanted to clarify. And you played everything else, right? Yes. The the process of recording each of these records is, you know, I I, I think of myself as a drummer first because that's what I've done the longest. So I, I do the drums and I kind of I memorize what the song sounds like and I just play it. I play the drums to nothing. You know, we just have a click and I have to memorize wow. what the song sounds like so I don't play to any guitar tracks. I don't have any scratch tracks or anything. I just have to I have to memorize the the songs exactly. And then do the drum tracks. Then I'll do, you know, rhythm guitar one, rhythm guitar two, or any other additional guitars to that. Then bass, keys, and and all the vocals and everything. Um, I'm not much of a. I don't think I'm much of a guitar player to be honest. Uh, and so when it came to leads, you know, James is just a, a phenomenal shredder. Just he's he's just amazing. So I knew for some of these leads, I just wanted I wanted someone who was really gonna put some spin on it, but also to to give a chance to have another voice other than mine uh, on that solo. So a lot of the featured solos are, you know, other people like the guitar solos are uh, James Nelson. The saxophone solo is a former student of mine named Andrew Lovett. I was gonna say, when you say student. Yeah, that's actually or... my, my day job. Um, I've, I've uh... spent uh, the better part of a decade as a uh, band director at high schools. Uh, prior to that, I was kind of adjunct faculty, just teaching uh, percussion and stuff like that for around uh, 10 years as well. 
And that's, you know, all my, all my formal training and education is in, is in music education. I have two degrees in music education. Uh, I've been working on a PhD in music education. I teach, I teach a lot of kids. And in fact, the, 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 the wind ensemble that you hear on Oubliette, the, uh, you know, the, the orchestral stuff, just minus yeah. the strings. Those were, those were my students in 2018. That was my band that I conducted at the high school. The um, Jordan wind ensemble, wow. right? Yeah. 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 You've got some, uh, cool. your students have a, have an excellent teacher then because yeah, some of the work on this album is, is amazing. Um, yeah, well, I, I, I appreciate really cool. That. Yeah. They, I, they did I a great job. All the, all the, all the music in that, um, all your albums, uh, do your uh, students ever listen to your music? Well, you know, the interesting thing, um, right before I started recording Oubliette, actually we had, we had done some crowdfunding to afford, uh, some of the, some of the record. And, Indiegogo, right? Uh, yeah, in, in, Indiegogo. That's correct. And um, yeah. right, uh, we had gotten it funded. Uh, Jamie and and I had been in touch a lot about like what it was going to be. I sent him some demos of stuff. Um, we we clicked so well after Eve. I remember Jamie said something to me. We found out like we we you know lived in the same state and we knew so many of the same people. I went to high school with some people he was like hanging out with and all like. And I remember. Uh, after the first week we were, we were recording and everything, he was just like, how have we not hung out yet? <laughs> you know, we were just, but we just really clicked and all that stuff. So I, I got everything locked in with him. And I know he was, I know he was happy with me as a client because I finished way ahead of schedule. I'm, I'm a psychotic practicer. So like on Eve, we had booked three days to record drums and we finished them in one. So everything gets finished ahead of schedule as a, as a, you know, recorder producer kind of myself, I know exactly how, great that is if you could be ahead of schedule you know and it seemed to be the complete opposite for uh for oubliette because right after that i had injured my right arm my uh, deltoid bursa on my uh, right arm you had a pretty pretty arduous process recording it right yeah, saw, yeah. Um, well we had, had to keep we had, had to keep pushing it back believe it or not the first yeah, thing we five recorded or six for delays. It, yeah we, we the thing we recorded for it first was actually the wind ensemble so I just, I brought my mobile setup, actually the, the very computer I'm talking to you through right now, we took to the theater, you know, got the kids together and we, you know, conducted them, just set up four mics and just hit record. And, you know, I conducted to a, a click. The kids couldn't hear a click. I had to kind of show them where the, where the tempo was, you know, that kind of thing. But luckily right. my kids are very used to, you know, they were very used to, to being metronomic and all that kind of stuff. So it wasn't a big deal. But I was in a sling. I mean, like oh. I had to, and I had to see this orthopedist about it, and he told me like you got to you got to change jobs. All this conducting and everything is making it much worse. And they said like oh. you might not be able to play anymore if you keep doing this because you're damaging your arm really badly. So we pushed everything way way back several months, and then had to push it again. Had to keep pushing it. Um, and uh, Jamie was very very gracious uh, to to accommodate that. And, actually, and you blew your voice at some point, right? Well, yeah, I, I, I did. Right? And, and we, we uh, like every, everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong with this album. In between, in between doing drum takes and especially guitar takes, actually guitar hurt worse. Um, I, had, I, I brought all these ice packs with me and I would have to ice down my arm. And then when we were doing vocals, like uh, we had to reschedule vocals one day just because my voice was completely trashed. It was, it was just, it was just a, a very arduous, arduous thing. 
Um, you had the pandemic too. Yeah, yeah. And then all that stuff happened, which pushed the release back, and it's just been a nightmare. So I had to uh, to circle back actually to the to the question that prompted this, which was like, what do you, what do my students think about it? That injury actually caused me to have to uh, change jobs because the, the orthopedist said, you know, look, you're going to have to have surgery on your arm. You're going to be wow. down and out for six months. And then we're going to need to do rehab on your arm to get you back where you were. And I was sitting there thinking, you know, what, Jesus, what's going to happen? And they said, you know, the best case scenario is if you could take it really, really easy and move it as little as possible, ice it every day, do take these, uh, had these industrial strength, anti-inflammatories, all this kind of stuff. So I had to change jobs and I actually changed jobs. That recording of, of those kids, that was the last time that I got to lead those students because I had to leave that job. And so that, that recording has sentimental value to me because that was my last time actually conducting a band. So yeah. I, took a, I took a job teaching. Uh, I now teach music production and audio engineering at a different high school. It's, you know, offering a complete program on this kind of stuff, like, you know, recording technology and stuff like that. It's one of the first of its kind. So it's really cool. It's real exciting that I get to do that. But I do, I sure do miss getting to, to, to perform with students. But what's interesting is that these kids are all kind of new to me. And I don't really do a lot of bragging about, oh, I've done this and I've done that and blah, blah, blah. Um, but they Google me as, as you know, kids want to do. Yeah. And then they look up and like, yeah. oh my God, like you're like a thing. And I said, I'm not really, I'm not really a thing. I, I said, I promise I'm just, I'm just obscure as, as anything. And there they get, they get like, why you play all these instruments? Oh my God, you do this. And what you were nominated for a Grammy. What? And all they, like, they get all excited about all this kind of stuff. So they think it's, they think it's cool. Which is which is neat, and I've shared with them just like little snippets of some of these other uh, these recent recordings as examples of things. Like I shared with them the uh, my fade to black cover. I said like this is an example of how you could use wow. reverb to create distance and isolation and all these other kinds of things. If it like <laughs> that's that's the teacher in me. Even if I'm sharing my music with them when they're asking me like, hey, can we hear some of your music? I'm using You're that as a teachable moment to say like, okay, well, so do you hear how we're extending the length of the reverb here? And we're really, really got this long, long, slow decay. This is what's making it sound <laughs> so much more, you know, <laughs> so. so. Something I'd like to, um, when we're talking about like uh, recording and you're managing, you, you were conducting and everything. Um, one thing I really loved about this album was the usage of samples um, and some of the like voice acting that, that goes on throughout the album. Mm -hmm. Can you tell, tell us a little bit about how, that was handled with voice actors like did you write scripts like did you direct them the 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 album is made up of samples from documentaries and then voice acting ah. and so i tried to mix the two together so it was kind of you know sort of bleeding into one another as a part of trying to draw some people's attention to to alzheimer's and everything i, I thought the most authentic thing we could do that the most respectful thing we could do would be to have some samples from from alzheimer's patients from nurses from caretakers and their real real experience we took from documentaries like alive inside which i think is just a wonderful documentary that i recommend everybody to to watch especially for the fact that it that it gives us just that little glimmer of hope in that we we see how music itself can keep people connected to certain parts of themselves, certain memories, uh, whatever, you know, you see as, as these patients are exposed to music from their youth or 
something of significance to them, how it quickens them and it brings them almost back to life. And uh, okay. it's, it's an amazing thing. So I think that, you know, simultaneously we can develop a new appreciation for the significance of music in our lives that in terms of how it connects us to who we are, but also in how that could actually be used in the fight against Alzheimer's. And, you know, there, there've been neurological papers and books written about it and everything, but I think alive inside, you know, showing, showing these people in their element and watching it happen before your eyes, that's, that's way more impactful than any book description because you see it in their eyes, you see the lights come on and it's amazing. I'll thing. Watch that. So many of the, many of the first half of the album is pulled. Uh, is many, many of those samples are pulled from interviews within alive inside. Uh, and then, uh, the later half of the album is from, uh, again, it's a mix of voice acting and samples. The samples, uh, come from a documentary called a love's farewell, which, uh, you know, follows a wife and husband and the husband has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. He's progressive. It's getting worse. It's worse and worse. And the documentary lasted a long, long time, followed him all the way through all the stages, all the way to where he was, he was completely just gaunt and skeletal, unresponsive, you know, unable to eat, unable to move all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I remember, watching that documentary and, and especially when, when they, you know, she, she tells the interviewer, his name was Paul. She said, we have to stop. She's crying. And he says, can I ask us one more question? What do you want to happen to him now? And she says, I just want it to be over as quickly as possible. And then she has that moment of honesty where she says like with at least pain for him. And if I'm honest for me as well, the, that was a, that was a poignant look into the fact that Alzheimer's is a, it's a bomb that's cr- with a crater that expands beyond just the person affected. It affects loved ones. It affects those around them. It, in many ways, this is, this is, you know, we can see some parity between this and Eve where we talk, you know, where I'm trying to show through that story, how the suicide does not just affect the person taking that action. And, Alzheimer's is the same way. Uh, loved ones are affected. Caretakers are affected. You know, it's, it's not just, oh, they forget things. Oh, it's just senility. And, um, so I wanted, I wanted those, those authentic voices. I, I wanted there to be like absolutely no doubt that these were the real people really affected. Now, for other moments that I wanted to kind of direct to our story, focusing in on Henry. For instance, the orderly saying, Henry, get back in your room, the voices of Mary, the taunting voices in the nightmare, all those kinds of things. Um, that was all, you know, voice acted. All the screams at the end of nightmare or all the whispers of Henry within nightmare. Those are actually all my students. So during during our, our recording, wow. I, I said, OK, everybody start whispering Henry and all this kind of stuff. And everybody start taunting him. All right. Now, everybody's, you know, pretend you're on fire, you know, and all the stuff that so are all screaming and everything. So all those, all those well, did a good are job. real. So, you know, uh, any of those kind of more cinematic effects were the voice acting kinds of things. And do you mind if I ask, do you have uh, like a personal connection to someone with Alzheimer's uh, well, or is it just a both. passion project? Um, my great uncle, he, he uh, okay. Henry, Henry is based on him and he didn't have, he didn't have a name that was, that was really as 
universally recognizable as like, oh, I know someone with that kind of name. Not that necessarily Henry does, but Henry seems like a more simple name that seems to almost kind of cross some borders, at least. It's a simple name, but also he was, you know, Henry was the viral star of Alive Inside, the guy that really did get quickened by the music and came back to life in his wheelchair. His name was Henry. So I was like, all right, I want to name this character Henry in his honor as well. It's a little simpler. Maybe it's a little more relatable for people, but also I want to, I want to acknowledge that, that guy, because that was a very moving thing to see him in that chair, come back to life. So he had, he was someone who, who loved, you know, he loved watching me play music, loved watching me play those drums, as he used to say, you know, for a long time it was just, he didn't really know when he was, he would, he would tell me about how, you know, he was watching the drummer on Lawrence Wilk last night. And he made, you know, that made me think of you. And now Lawrence Wilk had not been on in like 20 years or something like that. But, you know, it's one of those things with Alzheimer's. I threw that into actually the nightmare where it's, you don't know whether it's then or now. And it's very, it's very confusing Yeah, yep. because to you, it feels it's, it's a perspective thing. It's something that we can't, we have to really tax ourselves to try to put ourselves in their shoes and understand how disorienting that would be if you didn't know when you were, but everything about you, all your faculties were telling you when it's right now, it's obviously it's 1983. Yeah. They have a difficult sense of perception of time. It's, it's very, it's very hard to, to understand. And I think it's something it's, it's, it's very difficult to empathize with uh, for people. And uh, so the idea of Mary, was his wife. She died and he, he had progressed to the point that he could not, he, he wasn't able to form that memory. He couldn't, he couldn't understand that she was gone. Right. Right. So that seemed to me, that was the most tragic thing right. to me. It was just sort of, I, I, I've sat there. I still think about it. What if you had gotten this disease that took away your ability to form these new memories and somebody that was really important to you was taken away, died, whatever. And you don't know that you can't remember that. So every day you're looking for them and you're, you're thinking, what are you doing with her? Where is she? Why have you taken her from me? All that kind of stuff. And how not only the the amount of panic that would just surge through you, but just the, the, the lack of understanding of just not knowing what has, what has happened. Well, you touch on that in, um, in in the lyrics as well, yeah, um, yeah. like in the first in the first track, I think it is his name is Henry. There's a, there's a lyric that I think kind of relates a little bit to that, where you say, um, "No one comes around anymore. He's the furthest thing from their mind." Mm-hmm. And I think, at least my reading of that was um, obviously in the in the practical sense, some people that have Alzheimer's may legitimately be isolated, but also metaphorically, um, as like their mental state and their memory declines, they might feel like people they know really don't visit them anymore, even when they do. Yeah. Um, and then you, you kind of get a sense of that in the palliative breath um, where it's the sample of the, it's the man talking to his daughter and she says like, um, hi, Papa, how are you doing? And who am I? And she says, I'm your daughter. And he says, daughter, mm-hmm. like he doesn't, he doesn't really have a sense of, you know, there's, there's definitely a feeling of isolation that comes. Yeah, through yeah, absolutely. And, and that's, that's certainly something I tried to, to play up was try to find some places where I could have maybe, maybe not quite what would pass as a double entendre, but things that if you looked at it from a slightly different angle, 
it's do I mean this or do I mean this? Because it could be taken one of two ways. And many things we could look at from Henry's perspective, but we could also flip it, flip it around and look at it from an outsider's perspective. We don't know so much. And I think it's up to the listener to decide when we say he's the furthest thing from their mind. Is that, is that the perspective that he has? Is that the perspective of the facility workers? Is that the perspective of us as just an outside observer? Or is that, you know, is that kind of meaning a little something further, a little something different? Because his, his perspective has changed so much. You know, it's, it's a thing where what if, what if you didn't recognize somebody anymore? Then you won't know if they come to see you anymore. And it's a thing where I, I certainly would not want to suggest right. that that's, that's, to me, that's all the more reason to go and see them and just be, be a presence in their life. But uh, yeah. it mm -hmm. certainly, it certainly makes it a little bit more difficult. And again, it goes back to that crater effect. It's that, that idea of other people that do not have this disease are going to suffer from it. Uh, this reminds me of a video I watched uh, where this man and his, uh, you know, his mom were in like a restaurant and he's like, do you remember who I am? And like, he's like, I just, like, she was like, no, I don't know who you are. And she, he's like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm your son. And she's like, what? You know? And like, she's like, I don't have a son, you know? And hmm. he's like, does this little thing in his car where he's just like, wow, <laughs> she doesn't know who I am. I'm like, Oh, I'm going to cry. <laughs> it's, it's, it's uh super, yeah. uh, emotional you know yeah I, uh my family's actually going through stage sorry to hear probably six or seven right now with my my grandfather yeah it sucks and it's been it's thanks for saying that um it uh it's one of those things where like i fully understand what you said before about her wanting him to pass on and not be in pain and also the family not to be in pain anymore because you feel really guilty thinking that but you really wish that they'd stop suffering and that it would end uh because they're kind of gone as a person, obviously there's some light in there, but yeah. most days it's just scary and confusing for them. And uh, it's, it's drawn out over, over years. It's not like months, like most illnesses. Like my granddad's thing, uh, illness started probably 2000 and mm. I want to say 10 or 11. Yeah. yeah. So it's been a solid eight or nine, eight or nine years now, but it's to the point now where he, uh, he can't function. Like he can't walk. He can't, he, he can barely yeah. eat. He can't really communicate his thoughts anymore. So, yeah, it's, it's a really tough situation. And he's at home at the moment. He was in um, – they thought he was going to pass away because he had another wow. stroke. And he was in hospital very, until very recently. And then it took him from hospital to uh, uh, yeah. like an like a end-of-life care. And he managed to medically recover. Um, so he's actually at home now with home care. But uh, they don't know sort of – if he's going to have another stroke or what's going to happen again. Um, how much I'm time really, I'm really sorry for, for yeah, what your family's going through. I know, me, I know my connection. That that's really, really difficult. You know, that, that's, that's the, the, the thing, you know, you, you, uh, you made mention of that, that ambivalent feeling of, I don't want them to go, but at the same time you want, you want this to be over. Um, the, the, the stark reality of the fact that there is no cure, right even what, what we have as far as treatment, you know, at, at this point slows down the progression. It doesn't stop the progression. It just slows it down. And there are plenty of times where somebody can have Alzheimer's and have 
incredibly long spats of lucidity um, and clarity. And I, I've seen people that, that only really have to go through just, you know, mild decline that takes a very, very long time and everything. But when you're getting to those final stages, mm-hmm. um, I, I think even before they lose all faculties and they are, tr- you know, confined to, you know, a bed and, you know, all communication has stopped, all self controlled function has stopped even before that i think that there's there's a great deal you know it's, it's there's a great deal of sympathy we have to feel for what is clearly a, a hellish sentence to have to live out you know at the end of the record here right. i wanted to to try to give people a sense of what that was like by maybe we could kind of show you through the words through the music through the the, you know, the experiences of, of other people affected, could we in some way give people a glimpse of how awful that must be? Because we can't actually interview anybody that has been in that final stage. But what we do know is that that mind has declined right. to such a they point. They don't have memories to, to comfort them anymore. They don't have, they may not even know where they are, but they can't move. They can't do anything. So, I mean, it's, it's, that's the idea of the oubliette itself is you're, you're locked in your mind. You're locked in your body. You're locked in this bed. You're locked in this room. You're locked in this place and there is no getting out. And if, if we were to look at it from that perspective, you know, surely as you know, you're hearing this screaming that I imagine is in that mind. You know, if you look in their eyes and you see some pain there, you know, in, in my mind, I mean, it's just somebody screaming, let me out, just let me go, please. Because, you know, it's, it's just a, a horrendous torment, I would, I, I would imagine. And, you know, we listened to that final track with, you know, the wind ensemble and everything. And it's got, you know, the, the rise and fall of, of, of his breath with the ensemble doing a, a little Eric Whitaker nod. Um, and then, you know, it, it, we feel almost peaceful and then we get to the end and it just suddenly cuts off and we're back to reality as we're here in that flat line because we're still here. Mm. Maybe he's gone. Mm-hmm. And in that moment with all those beeps and everything and this flat line going on, you notice there's nothing room in the room noise. Nobody's coming to turn it off. Nobody's even paying attention to him. It's sort of that final insult of, you know, first he forgets and then he's forgotten. And it's, it's a, you know, that's, that's why that flatline goes on a long time. It goes, let's, you know, I remember telling Jamie, I said, I want it to be uncomfortably long. And it, it does go quite yeah, and a it's, while. And it, too, yeah. it was just this idea it, of, I want people to feel like, all right, turn it off. Why isn't anything happening? But imagine if you were just watching that room and then that noise is going off and nobody's coming. People used to come see him. People used to come visit him. People used to come do something. Now nobody's there. And I didn't want to overstate that. I didn't want to make that too clear. I just wanted to leave you with that, with that flat line. And hopefully in that moment right there, maybe that hurts a little bit. Maybe that stings a little bit. We wanted him to be set free. If he's gone, hey, that's what we said we wanted. That's what, we, that's what he said he wanted. That's what we, we said he, he just needs to be set free. Go to sleep, this, that, and the other thing. But then when it actually happens, we, still, we don't feel good about it. We're not happy about this. Yeah. Right. And there's there's another emotion there, which is like, I've talked to people who've lost um, members, family members to Alzheimer's, and they said that as soon as they pass, there's a, a sense of relief yeah. that it's over. And then following that, there's guilt. Uh, and that guilt 
is that they feel yep. terrible that they felt relief that the person they love has passed on. And uh, they, a lot of people can't shake that ever. Uh, like even years oh, later, I still absolutely. feel terrible about that feeling uh, that, is, that, that they that had. That is 100% a real thing. And, it's, and it's, again, it's difficult to put into words until you've been there. Um, but that's, like I said, that's something I was trying to kind of craft in, in, the, in, the, in the music. I think you've done a very good job, like evoking those um, those sorts of feelings. Because I mean, I I personally um, I'm fortunate fortunate enough that I've never never had to um, deal with these type these types of experiences before. Um, nobody I know has has had it before. But um, as, as I was listening to the album, I mean, just just the usage of like audio samples alone, like amazed amazed me. Um, the kind of samples of like. The, some of the beeps and wheezes and like hospital type ambience mm -hmm. and um, the uh, yeah like some of the and some of the clips of um, like some of these documentary clips that you pointed out some of the vocal samples it's like it's absolutely brilliant right um, the, when uh, the woman starts crying uh, at the end you know and you're just like oh my god yeah. like she's just just like I, I like cried along with her, you know. You're like, yeah. what just happened? Like in part why? six when she's cry like, crying no. about him being locked inside himself. Oh, it's 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 a depressing album, but um, I mean that in the best way possible. <laughs> I, um, it, I, I, I mean, I, yeah. I mean that in a very high praise sense. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's you've definitely done an excellent job of working it. And I think one thing I like as well is that um, like there's the variety of different sounds that you use that you used in this album um even with the with the different vocal styles that you've adopted like in um like in stage five yeah. nightmare um with like the growls and and shrieks kind of like um representing the disease itself um yeah really the the variety yeah vocals are yeah. amazing uh you definitely remind me of uh you know like a young maynard you know i was like wow am i listening to tool right now like this like uh i had actually passed along a couple of your albums to a friend who loves tool and i was like so like this is tool uh, with a little bit more emotion and some amazing growls you know and like uh some like more like heavier um sung lyrics in at some points but not the entire thing and my friend was just like <laughs> how have i not heard this before like this is absolutely amazing you know and uh yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I'm, I'm very talented. I'm very flattered. You Thank you. Um, so, so, something, um, something as well that I want to point out um, is that I uh, you often don't hear like the heavy usage of samples. I mean, I know I keep bringing it up, but it's just something that really amazes me. Just the the depth that you manage, like the depth of emotion you managed to create in this album with it. Like you rarely hear the usage of samples to this kind of extent in in metal yeah and, i mean that's true I, I guess like outside of i mean you know i grew up listening to a lot of uh, a lot of death metal and stuff like that like i, I remember being introduced to mortician yeah. in the in the 90s and, and it was every song was a two and a half minute sample yeah. from a horror movie and then 30 seconds of a blast beat uh, yeah. Sample. yeah of course but um yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, 90s, 90s death metal has a big yeah, sample yeah. culture, like, uh, especially like any of the horror stuff or the horror stuff. I would say like um, in the beginning of a lot of like 90s and like 2000s hardcore as well, like um, like in the beginning of songs yeah. and stuff, like they'll play parts of movies. And I can remember whatnot, that. And then, I remember, like, I remember Zayo did a lot of that. Stuff. 
Um, a couple other hardcore bands did, did that kind of stuff. Yeah, the, tr- the track I really thought of um, is a 90s one as well. It was uh, Space Divest by Dream Theater. And um, the way there's a section in that where it's it's just this super depressed guy at, t- at home, like, um, and he's just flipping through channels. And they've got all these samples from TV shows. Um, and, like, there's even a Conan O'Brien sample in there, but it's, like, super depressing. Yeah. Um, well, it's it's kind of you know it's it's a practice that that certainly I think has a place for setting for setting atmosphere. I, th- I think you know samples can give you a chance to set a tone um, in a certain way. Uh, a lot of my use of it, you know, because I was using them not just before tracks, I was using using them within tracks, and you know I would have yeah. some of these voice acting moments within tracks and everything and. So a lot of that just comes from my, I think my background just as a, as a, you know, academic musician. I mean, I've, I've had extensive study of of things like opera or musical theater. And, uh, you know, I spent a lot of years, you know, directing, you know, marching bands and stuff like that. that would use it, that would, you know, have us play a sample or something like that before a show to give everybody the idea of what their show's about. And so I liked the idea of using, every piece of media I possibly could to get the message across. Um, and I mean, this is certainly like this was, this was the most complicated writing process I've ever had because I wanted to be sure I did that. So his, uh, you know, his mood is constantly changing. So I need to be changing styles constantly. Um, and sometimes I need them to have smooth transitions. Sometimes I need them to be very, very sudden and stark because that's what mood swings are like. Um, but at the same time, we want to, we want to kind of feel like we're in his head. So what would he be listening to? So I need to, I need to reference things like how old would Henry be right now? So how old would he have been at this point? Okay. So I probably need to make reference to like Riles Davis or some sort of like a King Crimson esque thing right here. So that it kind of feels like a, a, a memory he would have. Um, but also maybe, you know, some of these, you know, like why use a, why use a high school band uh, instead of something else? Like, obviously I have a personal connection to him. My kids could, could just play the crap out of the stuff, but it was a thing of what if high school band is what he thought of, if he thought of something orchestral, what if that, that was his idea? You know, what if it was, he only knows what that sounds like, suppose he never went to the symphony. I know lots of people have never gone to to see a symphony or anything. They wouldn't know it. And if they didn't watch big budget movies like, you know, Lord of the Rings or something like that, they may never even hear symphonic scores very often. But if they were in band in high school, maybe that's what they think of. And so that's why I was like, yeah, I want to use young players for this because that's what that that connects it to him. And so there's little nods in there to, you know, wind ensemble composers like, um, Carl Husa and uh, Francis Macbeth and Eric Whitaker and all that kind of stuff. There's little nods there in, in that um, within their, their literature to, to kind of, for people, for people that know that literature, they'll be like, Oh, okay. I heard that little quote right there, or maybe not exactly a quote here, uh, but that's like a, that's stylistically like this guy or something like that. Um, So I wanted to try to get as deep into this as absolutely possible. And so we want to saturate this thing with, with samples so we can feel like we're in this place, in this institution, everything. Um, no actor is going to really be able to capture exactly that, that 
like when the daughter comes to see him, that fake recognition that Alzheimer's patients learn to have, where you hear it in his voice, where he's just like, she's like, you know, right. how you doing? He's like, I'm all right. I'm fine. I'm great. And he's, he's, he's very fine, positive yeah. and all this kind of stuff. And it's very, it's, he's talking as if he knows who you are because they learn to do that. They learn to just fake recognition. It's hard to teach that to an actor, to a voice actor, no matter how talented they are to say, okay, I need you to sound like you're pretending to recognize this person. That's a tough one to do, but then you, you can right. hear it. If you go back and listen to it, it's, it's right there in that, in those right. few seconds, you know, as he's saying, Oh, I'm all right. I'm fine. Great. And she's like, who am I? He's like, uh, you know, and it's, it's clear that that kind of messed with him. And he was just prepared to kind of like, let's just fake through this, you know? Yeah. Hey, how are you doing? Um, so it's, it's moments like that. Yeah. There's, That's there's, there's, there's moments like too. that, that cannot be, I think adequately replicated with the music. I can't, I couldn't, there's no way I could replicate musically faking recognition. There's ways I could do that lyrically, but I, I just really felt like there's this, you need to hear from these people. There's a, there's a sense of authenticity that comes along with that. And what some people said they really liked about Eve was the fact that I was very open about this experience that had happened to me. It was very, you know, that was personal for me. So I had, yeah, on the eve of a goodbye, excuse You're me. You're talking about on the eve of goodbye. goodbye. You know, I had. Yeah, I listened to that. Yeah, I was listening to that today, actually. I, but I had, I had people connected with me coming and read these little interludes. And, I, you know, I remember when it came out, like, even people that love the album, people seem to either like the interludes or they didn't like the interludes or, or whatever. The interludes were really important to me because they were things that I wanted to say. They were almost lyrics that just didn't have a place on the album. And they were important to me. And so I said, well, I'm going to have them. I, don't, I, okay. I was like, I don't give a shit if anybody likes this. This is important to me. And, you know, like some of them were, were read by my father. Some of them were read by a very close friend of mine. Um, you know, these, all the people that read them were close to me. Um, and so it, it was that whole thing was kind of a personal thing for me. I didn't think, I mean, I'll be honest. I didn't think Eve was going to come out because two months before it was released two months before. So that'd be August of 2016. I had sent an email to Jeremy Golden at Heaven and Hell Records and sent an email to Jamie King. And I said, I'm sorry, I don't want to release this. Just forget it. Just cancel it. We're not going to do this. And yeah. Yeah, that was yeah, and I, I, well, I had right? started, I had started typing up this thing to the people that uh, it was on Kickstarter. I started typing up this thing this, that was like, okay, I'm refunding everybody's money. Um, I'm sorry, I wasted your time, and uh, because I just, I, you know, it was it was really conflicting, and I remember when it when it finally came out and started getting reviewed and everything. Like I was just, I couldn't bring myself to read reviews of it because I thought I thought I was just going to get raked over the coals. I thought it was just going to be annihilated just right. this is awful this is dumb this is too you know this guy's crying on this album what's this crap and all this stuff and but it was something like i you know i knew i needed to make that make that record and make it personal for me because i was telling my story and my view of the story and and i had unresolved things i needed to deal with and so that was that's what that was for with this 
I think it made it better, to be honest, now that we know a little bit about about that, like, um, you know, putting emotion and stuff. It's not like you just slammed out music like you really put in the effort, you know, and I think a lot of people that listen to like, you know, music like this. Like, well, yeah, I, mean, you know, that's, I did an interview about uh, about Funeral for a Firefly off of that album. And because some people were surprised that, that one was 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 cut almost. Um. And many people think that's like the gut punch of the record and everything, but I wasn't able to finish it right. the way I had wanted to because I continued to just bawl and cry because I'd never actually tried to do the the full song. It had been something where I'd played the played the riffs and all this kind of stuff, hum the melodies. I'd never actually even tried to perform the thing until I got into that booth and I started breaking down because all these things I wanted to say that I'd been thinking that had been that I've been holding in for years and everything, it just came pouring out of me. And you know, poor Jamie. He was just sitting there like at the console, like not knowing what to do, because I just buried my face into the into the foam of the vocal booth and was just sobbing uncontrollably and came out and said, man, we just going to have to forget this song. I can't I can't get through this. There's no way. There's no way I'm, I can finish this song. Just wow. forget it. Let's just let's just cut it. We'll just go from decision to day after and that'll be it. And he was like, why don't we, why don't we try it one more time? He went and he like went, turned off all the lights to try to like make me feel as comfortable as possible. And he's, you know, this, this is one reason why I will always go back to Jamie King because he made me feel comfortable to be that vulnerable and all that kind of stuff. There was no, he, he, he didn't get, he didn't get uncomfortable. He didn't, there's no mockery. There's no nothing totally supportive and everything. And, you know, we did a take of, you know, the main vocal line, the lead vocal that goes all the way through. And I'm just, crying and singing out of tune and screaming and my fists were just balled up and my fingernails were digging into my palms making these purple marks you know and i was just freaking out and everything and i finished it and i said god almighty it was out of tune and and he was just like no man i think that's great i think this is this is a masterpiece just leave it like this we won't even won't won't touch it up or anything don't, don't do any other takes like just leave it like this and we'll leave all the all the the noises, the, the this, the sniffles, the whatever. We're gonna leave all that there. So if you listen to that, unlike every other track on the record, that one, the vocal line, you can hear like my breath, you can hear me sniffling, you can hear all sorts, you can hear me moving in the booth because we just left the raw lead vocal track. I think that type of authenticity. I mean, it gives it. It definitely gives it authenticity. I mean. It, it's it's pretty clear as well. Like when we, if you look at if you look at your discography with the reticent, that there are a lot of like quite personal themes. Well, yeah, to that's, a lot that's, of your work. that's what it's all all about to me, and and that's what I was I, saying with with like Oubliette. I want that sense of of authenticity because up to this point, I've been talking about these things that I went through, and this the reticent's been like diary entries for me, and yeah. I'm just kind of exposing, you know, my underbelly here, and just saying, well, look, this this happened and this hurt or this whatever. Like I, I was in a a really bad, toxic, abusive relationship with this girl for you know, multiple years, and it finally ended. I took it took an intervention from my family and friends to get me to leave her, um, but it was just terrible. But an, an album came out of that. It was called "A More More to My Air." Love will be the death of me, and every song on that was about her and about what I was going through. Um, so, like all these things, were just. Yeah, the, 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 that was the one the with the black one, cover. Right? That yeah. was when it was still uh, an, an yes, acoustic yes. Uh, and so like stuff primarily. Every, every one of these things had to do with that. And, you know, when La Tente de Truth 2 came out, um, you know, that the, the those two weren't really concept albums, but they were they were thematic albums where that one was all about like 
entropy and things breaking down, relationships breaking down, um, all sorts of things like that. So if you look at, if you, if you kind of go back and think, well, what's that title mean? You know, time destroys everything. Um, and then you kind of look at it from that perspective. Yeah. It's sort of, you start to see, oh, this is kind of just about things just constantly breaking down. Could be relationships, could be other things, whatever. I um, mean, that's kind of where I was at the time. I, uh, I actually I love that album. And now uh, you kind of explained it a little better. It uh, makes a lot mm-hmm. more sense why you did the uh, REM cover, Losing My Religion. Um, um, that's, I thought that was probably one of the that. best versions of that song I've ever heard. And um, yeah, you just kind of pop that. Like, it makes a lot more sense now. I was like, why is this on here? But now... Um, I, oh, I get the sense really that good, some of the themes know? from that um, album... Um, might still have been on your mind to some extent. Um, at least this was just what I what I thought with um, with the Oubliette because like right at the end, um, there's that kind of lecture mm-hmm. about like the economic impact of Alzheimer's, um, and it and it talks about like there's a certain sense of inevitability um, with like the financial cost of it and the just the sheer amount of people suffering from this. Like I, um, yeah, yeah. That was you, kind you of, could definitely I draw those a, a parallel still present between really. those, uh, for sure. Um, because you know, the, 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 the ending, the well, quote unquote ending of Latam ended with the uh, Neil X Nilo, nothing from nothing, nothing to nothing and all that stuff. And you have this, you know, Christopher Hitchens yeah. talking about the heat death of the, of the solar system and all this kind of stuff or the galaxy rather. And, um, it's it's a thing where, yeah, it, it it has that same kind of vibe of, you know, I want you to just kind of walk away thinking a little bit or reflecting a little bit. And if you knew this information, how would it change what you do? If we if we really understood the scope of Alzheimer's, would it change how we fund it? Would it change how we perceive it? If we really understood how bad it was. Would we would we do things differently if if people understood that it kills more people than than breast cancer and prostate cancer? Would it get more attention? Yeah, these people can't can't advocate it's for terrifying. themselves. They're not it's out there. They can't go do well. a march. Right. They can't go do you know go walk for the cure or anything like that. And it's not that I think that any attention should be taken away from any of these other things. I you know I've got cancer survivors in my family. Like I, I I'm I'm a hundred percent on board with that. It's just this thing of. Yeah, There's also this other problem Same here. that the people that are caring for them, the people that are that are working with them and everything, and the people themselves, the patients themselves, most of them are so the ones that can maybe advocate for themselves are so taxed, tired, and everything else. They they just don't have the energy to go out there and just fight the fight and, and try to bring attention to it. Um and it's just a thing of like if I told you that, yeah. you know, just a few years ago. Just a few years ago, the projection was worldwide it's going to be 300 million. That projection, you yeah. know, is is now considered to be conservative. And that 40 year, wow. that 40 year yeah. timeline, yeah, it's, and it's and it's just sort of what are we what are we going to do? And yeah, the 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 you know, I I, I made sure to include all those different things in there for the like some people that are just only worried about economies or people that are only worried about well how many people get it. And I tried to tried to understand try to make people understand that because the album is yeah. talking about the symptoms and the experience and the, the cost of it, the, the emotional toll that it takes. But then, you know, maybe somebody else isn't convinced. So now Henry's gone. It's over for him. He had to go through all that. His family had to go through all that. Now what's next? So that's why as the rain comes and 
you know, the doctors talking about these different statistics, um, you know, it is kind of a, it is meant to be sort of a wake up call. Like now, what if, what if this right here, this experience that Henry just went through, what if I told you this might happen 300 million more times? You know, would that, would that make you say, Hey, let's go check out the Fisher center for Alzheimer's research. Let's go see what they're doing and see if we could maybe donate some money to it. So I'm going to go over to alzinfo.org, which I hope everybody listening to this will do, and maybe see about like donating or maybe getting involved or something like that. Uh, or maybe they might say, you know, unfortunately, you know, what really sucks about this pandemic is we had all this, we had all these grand plans. Me and the entire band, we had this great idea. We we're going to do this short run tour, and uh, we were put, putting together all these dates, pretty much. Our, our little first thing was just going to be this East Coast uh, run of stuff. And we haven't really done like a lot of touring or anything, um, just, you know, mainly because of, of my day job and, and all that kind of stuff. I just never really had a lot of time to do it. Oh, yeah, this, there's lockdowns all over the place. But we got, Carolina, right? we got locked down hard. And what sucked is one of our stops, we had, we had, we had kind of timed it well where we were going to get a, an opening slot over here with – with some bands we love, like Insomnium and stuff like that, which is going to be great. Um, and we were really pumped about that. But I thought the more exciting thing was I was contacting all these retirement communities and assisted living facilities. And I was going to say, during the day, wherever we go, let's right. go over there and we're going to play for the patients. And then we'll go play We'll go play a show that night. And we're not going to play That's any of my man. music. Like these, these people don't give a crap about my music. We'd play music from the 50s. We'd play music from the 60s. We'd play music that they would know maybe or that they They could connect with. (laughs) And, you know, we'd just bring acoustic guitars and stuff like that and go play for them. Everybody in the band was was down with it. Um, And we were it wasn't really something we were going to, like, do a big advertising thing about uh, because, you know, people people from the community, we we didn't want them to, like, come or anything, obviously. But just this is going to be a chance to actually do something tangibly good for the patients the people directly affected by this. Yeah. And it's, you know, before COVID that would have been something I would have said, absolutely do just go visit them. If you've never been, and I've, I've gone to see people, I don't know them, but you've ever been. And I I remember taking my, my band students to go perform sometimes at these places and they would just, you, you've never seen a more grateful audience. You will never see a more grateful audience if you're a performer because it is just the biggest thing in the world. And they're so excited that they're, that you're there. And even the ones that aren't able to communicate all that well, the ones that, you know, have kind of that locked in sort of look, they're, they're still, you're giving them a, a, a break from the doldrums. And especially if you're meeting them where they are and you're playing some music from their era, like we would play some old jazz or something like that, that really does mean a lot to them. And that's something else we could do. The, you know, the point of this is just, look, I'm not expecting people to go and say, all right, well, we're all going to join in and, and we're all going to find the cure for Alzheimer's disease. It's, this is a very tough thing. I recognize that. But my, my suggestion is, my hope is, oubliette ends and, you know, it's bad for business. I guess I should apologize to, like, my PR and my label because we're not going to get millions and millions of streams because people probably finish it and then need a break and need to think. And... They need to, you know, hopefully what they want to do is they want to hit, you know, the album ends, hits pause or stop or whatever. They get up, they go call their grandmother, they go call their father, they they go visit somebody, um, they go check on whoever. 
um, just maybe do something like that. Or maybe they go look up, you know, Fisher Center or, you know, the Alzheimer's Association for their region, whatever it is. Yeah, well, that's what I did. Um, I After I listened to the album, I, I, I thought, I stopped and I thought, man, I really, don't, I really don't know much about Alzheimer's disease. And then I ended up like, I was on a bit of a... Yeah, well, and, and, and see, that's great, but that's, that's exactly what we, what we need to do. Like the, the most important thing that this album could accomplish would be just increasing some awareness about this. If, if nothing else, making people aware of how deadly it is, how damning it is, and how ubiquitous it is. I don't, uh, you know, there's, there's promise in the research. You know, there was a couple of years ago, they had discovered that plaque that they felt was connected to it that got on certain accents and everything. Um, right. It's so, I mean, there's always, if you, if you follow the research, there's always maybe some promise about something that could, a breakthrough that could be coming around the bend. Um, but, you know, yeah, we just need, you know, people, Question of funding, I guess, those, uh, those folks need to, to be, extent. need to be funded and they need to be supported. And, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you see it, yeah. you see it all over the world. And right now it's, it's going to be easy to forget about, um, you know, I, I, and I understand, you know, it's one of those problems too. A lot of people that probably have, um, that have, I mean, even people like you're talking about raising awareness. And I think one of the problems is with, like you said, people that, that can't necessarily be active activists themselves. Right. I mean, even a lot of their families probably aren't willing to, to because yeah. of how tra yeah. traumatizing the experience is. And I mean, um, that's, that's the thing about it. I don't mean to, to be the bad guy, but we're running short on time. That's fine. Um, so I, I just had to ask one or two quick questions before we did wrap up, uh, if that's okay. Um, I, I wanted to know from your music, I got vibes of a lot of different other bands. Uh, I kind of wanted to know who are your main influences as a musician for your the music? Not, not talking about the themes or anything like that, but as far as actual instrumentals and the styles go, because what I picked up, this is, tell me if I'm wrong here, but I picked up Opeth, older sure. Opeth. I picked up um, well, Porcupine uh, Tree. I, I certainly like all this. And uh, um, I picked up some Catatonia the, as well. Believe it or not, like pe people, people can't believe me when I say it, but the biggest influence on me is Neurosis. Um, we don't sound anything like Neurosis, and I understand right. that, but it's their approach to okay. writing, their approach to harmony um, that really moved me and their patience. Yeah. Um, and... You know, outside of that, I take a lot of influence from, uh, you know, I already mentioned like Miles Davis. Like I think Kind of Blue is 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 one of the most important albums of the 20th century of any genre. Um, mm -hmm. And so I, I put a lot of that into into what I do. Um, I've done I've had it happen before where I've written something I thought was really great. And then a new Opeth album will come out and I'll be like, God damn it. And. You know, it's it's sort of thing like a lot of my ideas fall very in line with some of theirs. Now, you know, I I don't think that anything I write is as good as what they do, but it's very similar to what they what they what right. they do. I understand when people make comparisons to us, um, and um, like I guess like because the original the original influence for the for for the reticent was actually Steve Von Till from Neurosis his solo work I was so moved by him just going and doing this very right. somber you know experimental okay. acoustic stuff I was like okay well I can do that and it's sort of a thing like at the same time I released that record I remember that Damnation and Deliverance came out at the same time 
But see, as the crow flies had already been out and already been writing like that. And if you, if you listen to the Steve Von Till stuff and then you listen to mine, you might see, actually, you know, there's, there's right. some more parallels here um, than, than maybe you, you might think. Um, and so, like, just they, they, they really, they continue to be my favorite band. They continue to be kind of just a, a source of inspiration for me. I don't have a voice like, like either Scott Kelly or Steve Von Till, so I couldn't emulate them if I wanted to. Um, I'm too much of a rudimental drummer who likes to play fast to, you know, do that kind of stuff. So <laughs> it's a, it's a thing where, right. you know, taking, taking my particular ideas, my love of the, the neurosis approach to things, you know, it ends up like, I guess somehow that makes opethish porcupine tree-ish stuff. Um, but you know, it's, it's one of those things uh, that just is what it is. You know, I, I had a my, right, uh, right. my old composition teacher when I was in college said, you know what? There's there's only so many frets on a guitar. There's only so many notes on the keyboard. Uh, you know, if you, anything you've thought of is going to have been done and somebody did it exactly the way you would do it. And they probably did it better than the way you're going to do good. it. So it's more, it's more important for you to do it right. the way that it means something to you. <laughs> Yeah, I think that comes through that you do. It's actually funny yeah, talking about right. the bands because it was a funny little coincidence for me that you had Jamie King as your producer just because um, mm-hmm. he often works with Between the Buried and Me. And one of the albums that I, I reviewed like just before I listened to the Oubliette was um, was a side project of Dan Briggs from Between the Buried and Me. So that was just a, right. just a funny little like consistency that I had that little connection to between the buried and me, like within a, a four, a two week period of time of review, like listening yeah. to your album. And, and what's cool about that project is he's, he's project. able to kind of do some of the, the really weird stuff that he'd like, he'd like to do. Um, Cause I know Jamie has talked about the fact yeah. that he's, he's had all sorts of wild ideas, Night- but they don't Night- necessarily Night- fit into the BT BAM thing. Um, Yeah, some of the some of the stuff on that album was yeah. I mean it was it was really great to listen to. Yeah, there's all this chip tune stuff and um I was I was really uh, when I found that album that project I was like, man, that's yeah, some really sure. <laughs> really out there stuff, but it was good to listen to. And then you, you know, and then I then I listened to uh, the Oubliette and and I was like, oh hey, Jamie King yeah, between the buried and me pops I mean, up it's, again. It's, it's just <laughs> a, an interesting thing. Um you know, uh that they, uh, Jamie once told me like, you know, that the bad news about this industry is like, everything is kind of like who, you know, and what you're hooked up with. And, you know, I'm not on any major label that has got pulled to get us right. like, if the festivals were going on right now to get us on like major festivals and this, that, and the other thing. Um, what, what are your post-release plans at the moment? Because, I mean, you can only have something I mean, like 50 people. At, that's, a, that's a great question. I don't, I don't really know. And that's if it's um, outside. I guess the good news for us is that we weren't really touring much beforehand, so not much has changed. Right. Uh, so. <laughs> good. Right. Okay. Are you planning to crowd yeah, um, any further albums or further? So work? next year, I've got, I've got a couple of ideas. Um, so next, next year is the fifth anniversary of Eve. And I wanted to do a special something. I've already talked to Heaven and Hell Records about doing a re-release. Um, Jamie has already remastered it. And uh, 
I want to see about potentially right. we'll, we'll kind of see what, what folks want to do, but potentially doing like a multi-disc release where like, you know, we have the remastered version of it. And then we have another version where you've got like commentary from me and Jamie and uh, James Nelson about the album. Cause James Nelson joined when we were playing shows for that record. And, um, just give some people some insight about like yeah. little things they may not they may not recognize everything. We're gonna do we're gonna do commentary for Oubliette at the same time. And let you know, just try to give people some of the oh, little Easter cool. egg things that they may not recognize or or just little compositional things that maybe nobody but other musicians give a crap about. Like on Oubliette, most of the time signatures are actually in four four, but the drumming is meant to make you feel like it's in a different time signature because Henry feels like he's in one place, but it's actually somewhere else. So that that kind of the, this weird subtext stuff that I that I that's brilliant. I go I go way wow. too far with that where it's like no one's ever gonna interesting care about this or pick up on it. But you know it's 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 something to me like all these tiny details that matter so much to me. But um, that type of detail is great to have. Yeah, I mean and, it um it gives it. A, yeah, man, you put out. Yeah, it's one of those things you can really like, um, especially especially for me. Like, I, I kind of have a, an academic background similar to yourself. Um, I've been working on a PhD for the past couple of years, so I, I tend to think very very analytically. Um, and and so, it's like something that has that level of detail, you can kind of dive into it and and think about it and analyze it as much or as little as you want to. So if you if you're listening to it and you just you know you're somebody that's just Click click the, the the link on Reddit and just gives it a listen. You think that's great, but then yeah, if yeah, exactly. You, you can go that's what I mean. To tie back to neurosis, that's that's dissect. what I get from them. I, you know, when I when I would go back and listen to an album that I'd listened to a million times with new headphones, right. really dedicated in the dark, and I would notice this new something, a new variation or a new sound that I didn't even pick up on the first couple times. I love that. I like being able to 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 go exploring and diving in and seeing something I didn't see before. Um, so, you know, I, I like I like to I like to make the albums yeah, kind of dense that way, so that there is some stuff you could go pick up on and maybe recognize. And hopefully, people will see things like, oh, this, this rhythmic motive that was in the captive also shows up in the nightmare, and this thing from palliative breath shows up over here in you know, stage seven or whatever. Like these little different motives or melodies or rhythms that that kind of show up in different places in new forms. I'm, I'm really a big fan of that kind of thing, but um, we've got a, we've got a new couple, couple Something. ideas for, for the next oh, record. Sorry, go ahead. Um, in fact, James and I were uh, at my house just a, a week ago, just kind of fleshing out some, some things. And uh, I think, I think, uh, I think he, he may be, uh, uh, be, be kind of just a, a, you know, a permanent staple like that. We, we work, we work well together, um, and you know he's got uh, he's got a good critical ear for for those things. So if I, you know, if I'm trying to get an idea across or, or feeling across something like that, and he's responding to it, uh, that that's a, usually a pretty good barometer for me. Um, and uh, like I said, I think he's just an amazing lead player. So um, you know, I, I want to keep featuring him um, in in that in that regard. Uh, you know. At, at the bare minimum, but uh, you know he's he's also coming up with some some ideas. Yeah. Um, so we'll see where where we're gonna go. Um, I've got uh, an EP idea, actually a kind of a small series of EP ideas that I thought would be kind of cool to t sort of tell a story. Sort of, it's it's uh, to me the the EP thing without giving too much away is almost like a weird mixture of some of some elements of Oubliette and some elements of Eve. 
um, which would be cool. And then I have another uh, ambitious right. idea that I won't tell you the, 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 the story per se, but I, I wanted it to be something to where if you listen to the album, let's say it was eight tracks in order, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, it would tell this one story. But if you listen to it, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, it tells a different story. Right. Um, that would be really interesting. I was like, you know, I haven't really heard something like that before. And that's interesting. Yeah. So that's going to be tough, of course, to write. And, you know, especially the things like lyrically and everything so that it would make sense for this to be the, either the middle of a, of this story or the middle of that story. Um, But I, I I liked that idea of what if we gave the listener, the power over whether this was a tragic story or a hopeful story, is it darkness to light or is it light to darkness? Um, right. yeah yeah exactly and and like have the titles that I wanted the titles of the songs to, to, to betray that so you could read all the titles they form a sentence and then you flip it over and it forms a different sentence that's the that would that would be my clue to people so that oh if I flip it over and listen to it in this okay. sentence order it tells this story wow. if I flip it this way it tells this story um While we're on the topic of um, of future releases as well, something I just I just want to quickly get in here because somebody on Reddit asked me to ask you this: is um, <laughs> is there any chance of, of vinyl releases? Um, so, for, um, like, is that, that, is is that definitely something, something that I want to do? Happen? That's definitely something that I've talked with the label about doing. Um, the problem the problem I have is just it's it's just cost prohibitive at this point. Um, this is this is where the not doing shows thing kind of wow. hurts us, and I'm hoping to. We've done we've done okay so far on like uh, people buying some CDs, and some people have bought uh, T-shirts and, and everything. And we have, you know, we just got a couple hoodies in from Indiegogo Rewards. We had to get a certain number of hoodies printed, um, but only so many people requested that reward. Right. So we have a couple more left over. We're gonna try to sell those. I'm going to keep trying to just sell merch and, and t-shirts and CDs and, and whatever that, that we can and try to raise some, some more capital. Um, if, if we can, if we can't afford it, we'll do a short pressing, I guess, of like a hundred uh, LPs. Um, that, you know, the problem is like, even just doing, if I just did 100, you know, 45 minute LPs uh, with nothing special, you know, you're talking about, easy easy a thousand dollars before shipping those things and it's it's a thing where you know we want to do it right we want to have all this other stuff and so i talked with uh jeremy golden about this and we actually said well you know if we were going to do this like we should do like collector's edition style so get the get the good cover art and we'll get like a some physical thing like a file folder with Henry's name on it and like a, a diagnostic sheet with all sorts of stuff on Henry that goes with it or something like, you know, I don't know what the term for that is, but I guess like some sort of prop or something like, but like a physical, a physical something that goes with it. That's, you know, you could hmm. potentially do some of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And we might, we, we, we talked about maybe doing that kind of thing. I was just, I felt, I felt bad after the injury because people that people that, supported oubliette had to wait way past a year to get their stuff they just got it um and so i felt i felt terrible about that so i you know even though we haven't asked for any crowdfunding uh, yeah, okay. you know since it's just sort of yeah you know i, I don't want to bug people for money and we had the video shoot with uh, justin wright um for the captive which i thought you know turned out wonderful 
and we tried to save money everywhere we could uh, on that thing. But I mean, you're yeah. still talking about several thousand dollars. We got to we got to spend on that stuff, and you know, you, there's just there's a lot of things that go along with this when you're when you're kind of just a a nobody musician. You know, there's just there's lots of things we want to be able to do. We just don't have all the money for. Um, but that's the, 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 probably the number one request I get is, you know, are you going to do vinyl? Are you going to do vinyl? And, um, so we're, you know, we want to do it. And, and I know people have been asking for that since Eve, people are asking, <laughs> right, is okay. Eve ever going to get a vinyl release? And so <laughs> that's the, that's the other thing we're talking about with the label yeah. about next year by like October 5th, 2021. Could we maybe put Eve on vinyl? Could we do a special, something like that? I'm, I'm trying to tempt them into putting a little money behind that to celebrate the the release, you know, or the five year anniversary um, and everything. Um, and maybe, yeah. you know, since Jamie's already got it remastered, we could take that remastered version, put the remastered version on vinyl. I mean, I think that'd be pretty cool. Um, the, t- the tough part is just, you know, to get the entire experience, it'd have to be a double LP. So, um, and, you know, it's a thing where I think yeah. it'd be really cool. I think, especially Oubliette, I think Oubliette yeah, would have a huge effect important. if you include vinyl in there. Just even some of the some of the dust and everything, it would just add to the cinematic quality Oubliette of some of those moments. Um, for sure. But, um, you know, again, it's just, it's, it's at yeah. that 63-minute mark. It's just going to be just a little too long, so it would have to be two. Um, which is not, it's not out of the realm. And I know some people do this kind of stuff. Um, and maybe what I'm hoping is if, if I could get, you know, if we could do enough merch sales to where I could maybe front some of this costs, get the label to invest a little bit, uh, in it because they don't want to take a huge risk. And maybe we, we do a, you know, all right, we're going to, I don't know, like take pre-orders or do a, do a Indiegogo or something like that for it and just kind of get people to sort of commit to it. So we know we're not going to end up like deep in the hole where all these people said they want it. And then they're like, Oh, I don't want it anymore. Uh, that kind of thing. But, um, yeah, cause I can put a label under, uh, we actually had on our last interview mm-hmm. we did, which hasn't gone up yet was with a label owner from Australia. And, uh, we had a long chat about the risk of vinyl and, uh, how many labels have gone under from leaping headfirst into the vinyl craze yeah, and then just not being able to move the merchandise right. that they've created and pretty much one or two bad hits like that. Can well, you know, the the, the difficult the part is, is right, like the band, you know, not being you know. able to so, get out there yeah. and raise, raise money and raise awareness of the, of the project so that, so you're kind of insulating yourself against that, that inevitable hit um, because the people that love the vinyl, like I, I don't doubt their sincerity. There are people I know that 100%, even if we said, okay, it's going to be 70 bucks. They'd be like, okay, fine. Like I, I do know we have some people that are like that, that are just, I, I just want to have it. And to, to them, like if it's only limited to 50 or a hundred, that's even better to them because then they get like uh-huh. this special thing. Um, but it's just, there's, there's just a lot of upfront cost associated with that. And it is a big, it is a big risk for, for people, especially when you want to do it the right way. Um, and so I understand, mm-hmm. I completely understand like my label's trepidation and, and their hesitancy to, to kind of be like, man, I don't know if I want to dive right into that because we're going to have to get two LPs with your thing. And, you yeah. know, are we going to have like a big fold out thing? Are we going to have a huge card? Are we going to have this? What are we going to do with it? Um, you know, 
but there is a um, you mentioned yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. another release of on the on the eve of goodbye, right? Well, so I cannot when, say. When, so when can we be, be sure it's included that I'm I am not confirming that it would be by next okay. October. That's my hope at this time. Um, we've discussed that because October 5th of next year will be exactly five years. Um, and so I thought that would be really significant. I thought that'd be really cool right. to have or, you know, good to see or, you know, right. whatever. And that's also, that's also each birthday, you know. No. And uh, again, not to, not to chase, okay. oh, sorry, not to, uh, be the bad guy, but uh, we're actually about to reach time in about Thank two God. or three minutes. Um, um, and I was I just, just uh, I wondering, do you have anything have that you wanted to say music. to the I'm listeners not, while you um, still have a chance, it, it like any, any message that you have? to me that anybody would, would welcome me or my music into their lives for, you know, five minutes or an hour or something like that. And, you know, I hope, I hope they enjoy it. I hope that they get something from it. Um, and if they're willing to pass it along to folks and everything, like, again... I can't, I can't express my gratitude enough. So. And uh, yeah, I wanted to thank you as well for, for coming on and uh, taking the time to talk to us and also for making music that uh, punches me in the gut consistently. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because it, it, uh, yeah, honestly, I, I have the experience with Alzheimer's. So for me, that one was it really hit home. And then, the previous album, I've uh, I've lost a close friend to suicide, and I've had my own brushes with it. So I have too. I uh, yeah. that no, that no, one I there is also that. another Sorry really for, moving for album um, that really hits home. So thank you for for making such raw music, to, really. Oh yeah, uh, any any time. I'd, I'd love be, to get I'd you back on sometime. Back. So thank you again for having me. Good, in a good discussion. It's definitely one of. One of the best albums I've listened yeah. to in a long of course, time. And I'm, um, I mean, not, sorry, just, not just like, a, like it, it, instrumentally it's, and vocally, it's awesome, but, but conceptually as well. Um, I mean, I, as James can, James can tell you, like, I love a good concept album, but it's, um, yeah, this one's just, just um, mm -hmm. it's, it's visceral. Listening to it, it's, 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 it's a brilliant experience. And when it's the type of album that, at least for me, when I can sit down and just do nothing but listen to that album, that's how I know it's like, like, like that, that means a lot. I really appreciate that's that. That's kind of the experience I had with this one. Um, so, like, thank you for me. <laughs> All right. Yeah, it's similar experience. And I'm you. sure, like, uh, yeah. any uh, future releases you have, oh, yeah. I'd be more than happy to review <laughs> them for you. Line me up if you, if you let us know. Um, <laughs> if you let us, if you maybe like can arrange with you. I don't know if your label has to do it or not, but. Um, if you can let us know. Yeah, sure. Um, I can, stuff, I can uh, get you, get you in touch to either with it. the, with the label or uh, our, uh, our PR firm, either one. Jeremy. Yeah. Oh, I should, I should actually mention that I'm already in touch with your label. Uh, he sent me a, um, is it, what, what's your label owner's name? Is it Jeremy? Yeah, Sweet. Jeremy. Jeremy and I've been talking on and off, and he sent me a bunch of stuff. So I'm sure that if you have anything going forward, yeah. he'll uh, forward it to me, and I can put Yari onto it. But yeah, uh, thanks again for coming on, and uh, we really appreciate your time. Fun. And uh, thanks everyone for listening, and Yari for, for coming on me. the podcast for the first time. <laughs> All right, thanks everyone, and tune in next time for another interview with Babe. another artist. Babe.